Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the opportunity to, to study, to hear from you. We pray to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and to be open to whatever you desire to speak into our lives and whatever you desire to do in us and through us. And so we pray that you'll equip us tonight. We pray, Father, that, you know, whatever anybody's going through, Lord, we we pray that you help them to overcome uh, those struggles or whatever that issue may be. And that when people leave this place, they'll leave better than when they came in. I do pray for the gift of teaching. I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. And I pray, Father, that I would decrease and you increase. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to open up to uh, Mark uh, chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. Once again, this is our final lesson in the gospel according to Mark. And so the title of tonight's message Um, from Mark 16, verses 15 through 20, is the work continues. The work continues. Now, at this point, Jesus has been resurrected in his same physical body that went into the tomb. Because remember, when they looked into the tomb, that body was not there. And so it's the same physical body. And so we call it the bodily resurrection of Christ. And that's what we believe here. But this body that was resurrected is glorified and it has different qualities and it has different abilities. For example, this this resurrected or this glorified body could now appear and disappear. He doesn't have to um, twist knobs to open doors or anything like that. He could just once again appear and disappear. However, he can still eat and he can still be touched. And that gives us a picture of our future glorified bodies. And so we too will be able to eat, but won't need to eat. And our bodies will not have a sin nature when we receive our glorified or resurrected bodies. And so this is what we see in Christ here in that resurrected body. And so his body, just to sum it up, is now unlimited by space and time. Space and time does not limit his body. He doesn't have to, to walk to get from point A to point B anymore. Again, he could just appear, disappear in this glorified body. Now, just as re- for review, Jesus has been seen, the resurrected Christ has been seen by his followers, including the women who followed him. And just for context, we want to start at verse 14, although the study actually starts at verse 15. But again, just for context, let's read verse 14 once again in Mark chapter 16. It says here, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. 
Now, as a reminder and just to clarify the timing of verse 14, which I mentioned in the last lesson, this appearance of Jesus could be referring to later on on that resurrection Sunday in the evening. And if so, if that's true, then that would mean that Thomas, the disciple Thomas, was not present at this appearance of Jesus. Because in John chapter 20, verse 26, we see that it is revealed that, that Thomas didn't see him until eight days later after Resurrection Sunday. Now in verse 15, it says, And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, we'll find out that these 11 disciples had went to a mountain in Galilee when Jesus had given them this great commission. And so many Bible scholars see uh, verse 15 as coinciding with that great commission that is in Matthew chapter 28. And once again, Matthew 28:16 tells us that he was on a mountain in Galilee, which would be in the northern area of Israel. And so this is where Jesus would give the disciples the great commission. And once again, as review, there are 11 disciples at this point because Judas killed himself. And so what you want to do here is you want to read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 19, along with Mark 16, verse 15. Now also, as we assume that verse 14 took place on Resurrection Sunday evening, there would be an elapse of time between verses 14 and 15. And we see here that these disciples were commissioned. In other words, they were granted the authority to do the work of the Lord, to to share the gospel, to preach the gospel, as we see in verse 15 here. Now, that word gospel, and many of you know this, it means good news. And why is it good news? Because it is the good news about Jesus' life. It's the good news about his ministry, about his death. Because remember, he died for our sins. He died in our place, took God's penalty upon himself, the penalty that we deserve. And it's also the good news about his resurrection, And so we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Our Savior is alive. Now, this good news is also good news because it opens the salvation for all people. No matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak or what their skin color is, the gospel is for everyone, no matter what sin they've been participating in, with sin they've been struggling in, the gospel, this good news is for everyone, that Jesus Christ came down from heaven. He took upon a human body, and he lived a perfect life. He did not sin, and he taught the word of God in truth. And, and yes, he died, he suffered, he bled, he was resurrected so that people will be able to have a relationship with God the Father and will live eternally with God the Father in heaven. And so that is indeed 
good news. And so just to go along with uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, here we have Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And it says there, go therefore and make disciples. And many of you are familiar with this. You're familiar with this great commission. And so make disciples of who? Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice there's no S at the, at the end of the word name. And so this speaks to the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son, of course, being Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, verse 20. And he says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, not only do we share the gospel for salvation, as we saw in Mark uh, chapter 16, uh, verse 15. So not only do we share for salvation and pray with people so that they'll be converted and now they become children of God. Now they become citizens of heaven. But you find out from Matthew chapter 28 and that great commission that we also make disciples of all nations and making a disciple or a follower means you make them a student or you make them a pupil teaching them the word of God so that they'll mature in the faith so that they'll grow and become more like Jesus and so that they'll also become equipped for the work of the ministry so it's not just about sharing the gospel for salvation or conversion but also making disciples, people who actually are living the way Christ lived. And so that is a true disciple, a true follower of Christ. Are we mimicking Christ in our attitude? Are we mimicking Christ in our thoughts? Are we mimicking him in our speech and in our actions? That is a disciple. And so we want to make disciples. And we could do that in a one-on-one session or we can do it on a Sunday morning teaching the word of God or maybe in the high school, junior, high class where the word is being taught. Those students are being discipled. You're being equipped for the work of the ministry. You're being fed the word of God so you can grow and become healthy believers. And then in verse 16, it continues And Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned or punished. Well, Pastor Durrell, what is that? It says he who believes and is baptized. Is is this talking about a works salvation? In other words, you, you do a work in order to complete the salvation process. It's not talking about that. We'll explain that here. But I just want to share with you that water baptism comes after salvation. Water baptism is only for for people who are already believers, for people who already have repented and put their faith in Christ. That's who water baptism is for. And so water baptism is that outward expression on what took place in the spirit realm and that person's life and that believer's life. And so really what's going on is they're acting out. When we get water baptized, we're acting out 
what took place in us spiritually when we repented and put our faith in Christ. But it also shows identification with Jesus. You see, gangbangers, a lot of gangsters, they would get tattoos to, to demonstrate what gangs they're affiliated with. But for us as believers, when, when we want to show who we are aligned with, what God we serve, what Savior we claim, then, then we get water baptized, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. But of course, I do have to mention that water baptism does not save, but once again, it is for saved people. You know, the scriptures are very clear that faith alone is the requirement for salvation, for we're saved by grace through faith. And that, that's not of works. We don't work for it, lest anyone will be able to boast about that, Ephesians chapter 2. But once again, salvation is a gift and we receive it by faith. And Darrell, where, do you, where else do you see evidence of that in this verse that we read in, in verse 16 that seems to teach that we have to get baptized too to be saved? Well, if you look at the, the second part of that verse, notice how a person will be condemned. It doesn't say he who does not believe and is not baptized. It only mentions believe. And that's another hint that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So faith alone. In Christ alone. Now, the unbeliever, by the way, is already condemned. The person who never has repented, they never turned from sin and put their faith or trust in Christ, they're already condemned. They already have punishment or the wrath of God hanging over his or her head. Why? Because of sin. Because we're born with the sin nature and then because of personal sin. You know, we can have sins of the heart. So we, so we may not perform an action, a sinful action, but we may sin in our hearts. For example, we can lust after someone else and commit adultery, even though we haven't committed the physical act of it. And even though we haven't committed the physical act of murder, we can do that by hating someone in our hearts. And so there are those sins of the hearts. We can, we can sin in our thoughts. And not only do we sin by commission, by acting something out, but we can sin by omission, by not doing something God told us to do or is telling us to do. And so we all have sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his perfect standard. So we are already in a state of condemnation without Christ. But now to disregard and to not receive the cure. And the word cure here, the way I'm using it is with the capital C cure, because I'm talking about Jesus, because Jesus is that cure to help us to overcome condemnation because we're already dead in our sin before Christ. But now if we reject the cure, we reject Jesus, who's the cure for our sin sickness, and we die in that state then that condemnation will be sealed for eternity. Matter of fact, in John 3, 18, Jesus says, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes in who? The son of God, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. You won't be punished. You won't be separated from God, the father for eternity. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. 
So once again, when it says in the name, it's talking about his character, who he is. And then it says here in, in John 3.36, and this is John the Baptist speaking. John the Baptist said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. You have it right now. That everlasting life, although you're not in eternity right now, it is yours right now. You have it. That's present tense. And he who does not believe in the Son, you shall not see life. But guess what? The wrath of God abides on him. See, that wrath coming from God, that condemnation. And so a person can overcome and and not be condemned if they would just repent and receive Jesus Christ. In verses 17 and 18 in Mark chapter 16, it says, And these signs will follow or accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues or languages, and they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover or be healed. Now, according to Jesus, there are some signs that will follow those who believe. And if you read the book of Acts, you can see that demons indeed were cast out. And you you saw that many sick people were healed. And of course, that work was done by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And so you saw that in the book of Acts. And in regard to speaking with new tongues, you saw the believers who were gathered on the day of Pentecost. Ten days after the ascension of Christ in Acts chapter 2. You saw that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and, and they spoke with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. You also saw other believers throughout the book of Acts speak with other tongues as well. And today, of course, we do believe that believers today can use this gift if God so chooses to allow that believer to use the gift of tongues. And what happens with the gift of tongues, that person's spirit is prompted by the Holy Spirit to glorify who? To glorify God in a language that they previously had not learned, that they previously had not studied. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says that the person who speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. He's glorifying God, speaking to God in a language that they might not even understand, but God is being glorified. How do I know God is being glorified with this gift? It's because the Holy Spirit is the one who distributes that gift. However, Scriptures, I believe, are clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that not every Christian uses this gift. And so it doesn't mean that if a person doesn't use this gift, if a Christian doesn't use this gift, it doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that they're any less spiritual than another Christian who uses that gift. But then based on these verses here, verses 17 and 18 in Mark chapter 16, We also know that there are also times that God would miraculously protect believers. See what it says there? They would take up serpents. And and so we will never have a service where we're going to play around with snakes. That's just a sin to tempt God. Why would we tempt God? 
It's a sin. And so we're not going to have a, a snake handling service. No, these people, they, they will be out in the field doing the work of God. And if they were bitten by a snake, God would supernaturally protect them. And we saw that as an example in the apostle Paul who got bit by a poisonous snake. Remember, he was on that island called Malta after there was a shipwreck on his way to Rome. The scriptures tell us in Acts 28 that that poison from that snake had no effect on him. God still had something for him to do. Now, these things, these miraculous things, they won't happen all the time. However, they will happen at God's discretion. For it is God's will sometimes for his servants to glorify him in death. That may be his will. You know, Jesus even told Peter that in John chapter 21, he told Peter how Peter was going to glorify him in death. So, yes, sometimes God wants wants us to glorify him that way. But other times God at his discretion would want to miraculously heal us. And so he's able to do it. Now, if you want to skip ahead and look at verse 20 in Mark chapter 16, we can see that based on that verse, that these signs that Jesus is talking about, they actually validated or proved to be true this gospel message that the apostles were preaching. But once again, just so you know, the the miracles and the spiritual gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit are still available today. Why? Because God is still God. There is still the Holy Spirit and he has never lost his power and he has never vacated his throne. And so he's still able to do these things. And yes, we still do have spiritual gifts. And you don't believe that. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all the way through chapters four, chapter 14. And there's other places that talks about the gifts of the spirit. Yes, our God is a God of miracles and Scriptures tell us or indicate that he distributes these spiritual gifts to us according to his will. He also used whomever he will to work a miracle. God is able to do that. He's a sovereign God. In verse 19, it says, so so then after the Lord has spoken to them, He was received up into heaven. That's what we call the ascension. And he sat down at the right hand of God, which would be the place of honor. Now, according to Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 51, Jesus had led the disciples as far as this place called Bethany. And that didn't happen, by the way, until about 40 days after his resurrection. So for 40 days, Jesus was appearing to the people he wanted to appear to. He, he revealed to people that he was still alive, his believers, that he's still alive, that he was raised from the dead for 40 days. And so here at the ascension of Christ in Mark 16, 19, you see the end of his earthly ministry in his first coming. But Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 gives us more information about Christ's ascension. And so if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1 and look at verses 9 through 11, that'll be great. We'll read it together. So Acts 1, 9 through 11, it says, 
And again, we're still speaking about the ascension that we saw in Mark 16, verse 19. It says in Acts 1, verse 9, beginning there. Now, when Jesus has spoken these things, while they watched, it says he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And, and many people believe that this cloud is the Shekinah glory, that same glory that filled the temple in the Old Testament. Some people believe it's that. And then in verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. You know, Acts chapter 1 verse 12, if you were to continue to read, it actually reveals that the disciples were on the Mount of Olives when the ascension recurred or occurred. But Darrell, I thought you said that he took them as far as Bethany. Well, there is no contradiction there in regard to Bethany and Mount of Olives where, where Jesus had ascended because Bethany was actually located on the east side or that eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. And it was about two miles east of Jerusalem. And so there is no contradiction there when you read that he took him as far as Bethany. And then here you read in, in Acts 1.12 that he was on the Mount of Olives when he ascended. There is no contradiction there. As a matter of fact, there in, in Acts 1 uh, verses 9 through 11, one thing that I want to point out is that the two men, which would be two angels, they said to the disciples who were just gazing up, they said to them that, that this same Jesus will come back. He will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven, in like manner. So in other words, Jesus is going to come back in that same glorified body that he had when he ascended, when he was taken up and sat down on, at the right hand of the Father, that same Jesus in that glorified body is going to come back. But also, in like manner, could refer to the same place. Remember, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. And Zechariah 14, verse 4 says this, that, and now this is speaking of the second coming. It says, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. So, of course, this will be after the rapture and after the seven year tribulation period. And then he will visibly come back with his saints. And, and, and at that point, during that second coming, he will set his foot on the Mount of Olives. That's really going to happen. It has been prophesied. And in Mark 16, verse 20, it says, and they went out and they preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. And the Lord was also confirming the word. In other words, he proved that the good news that they told was true. How did he do that? Through those accompanying signs. Amen. 
Now, earlier I shared that these miracles and wonders prove the validity of the word that the disciples shared. And some of you tonight who have been sharing the gospel, been sharing it on the street corners, been sharing it with your neighbors, been sharing it with your co-workers, been sharing it with your classmates. Some of you may have gone out street witnessing in larger groups and you may be concerned, well, how come God didn't do a miracle through me to confirm the gospel that I'm sharing? I'm, I'm sharing the same gospel that the apostles shared. So where is the miracle that accompanies my sharing of the gospel? We have to remember that at that time, God was just starting the church. He was just laying the foundation for the church with Christ, of course, being the chief cornerstone. And then we have to remember that God does things according to his will, and he does them according to his timing. And so I just didn't want to encourage you that, that those of you who are straining to have some type of miracle done as you're sharing the gospel with strangers and family members and associates, and you're not seeing an accompanying sign or miracle I just want to share with you that what they're looking at as you're sharing the gospel, that's that they're looking at a breathing, living miracle. Because as a believer, when you're born again, you are a miracle. You are a walking miracle. You are somebody who cannot save himself. You're somebody who cannot save herself. You're somebody who cannot overcome this a certain struggle in sin. And whatever that sin was, until... You repented and gave your life to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they are looking at a miracle. They're looking at someone who's a new creation. Someone who is way different than they were in the past. And, and so you can share with them the miracle of your transformation. And the fact of your personal testimony. That you're not the same way you used to be. You, you don't have the same Uh, struggling in that same sin that you used to have, that you don't speak the way you used to speak. You don't think the way you used to think and you don't talk to people. You don't talk down to people the way you used to. You don't use the same filthy mouth and words that you used to. And that's one of the first things to go just about immediately when I received Christ. my, My mouth was so filthy. It was crazy. When I got saved, that was like the first thing that God dealt with thoroughly, my filthy mouth. And I would write rap music and, you know, all kind of language would go in there. And that's the first thing that God convicted me on is my language. And I remember trying to bargain with God. Well, what if God, I just use this word and that word. I was so focused on making it big and with the group that I was in and being famous and making money and God will still convict me. And, and then I'll come back to him with another deal. Well, God, how, how about I just use only this word? And then he'll convict me again. And then finally I was like, well, Lord, I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I'm just going to make this one record with them. And then I'm going to move on and, and, and make solo records with no cursing and it's going to be positive and and the lord spoke to my heart and said tomorrow's not promised and then i had no more argument with him and soon after i remember being at a revival i know that sounds cliche but it was the truth and i don't even remember what was said all i know is that i was ready to surrender 
to him. And, and my life has never been the same again. And so that wasn't the only sin, though. But that was one that I remember that God specifically dealt with me on. And as he, as he was drawing me to him. And it's just so amazing when I, when I think about the mercy and grace of God. Why would he stand there and give me all these chances and I'm just rejecting them and trying to go back and forth with him and telling him my goals. But yet and still, the God who could have wiped me out allowed me to live so I can get to that point of surrender. And so maybe there's some of you right now, you're wondering, God, why are you allowing these evil people to live? They're doing so much evil in the world. Well, I just want you to think back to the year that you got saved and when you were evil, when you were in sin and ask and ask that same question. You see, God is allowing people to live because a lot of those people he knows are going to eventually receive him. We don't know who they are, but our job is to continue to share the gospel like the apostles did. But just to get back to the miracle that accompanies the gospel message that we share, the people we share the gospel with, once again, they'll be looking at a living, breathing miracle when they look into our eyes and hear the words that are coming from our mouths. Now, as we come to a close of this great gospel and everything in the Bible is great. So I could say that about every book in the Bible. But as we come to a close to this gospel, the gospel of Mark, I just want to remind you that that Mark presents Jesus as a servant. In fact, I would call Jesus the ultimate servant. And so if you can recall throughout the book of Mark, you saw Jesus doing more than he spoke. You saw more action from him than words. You see way more words from Jesus in other gospel accounts. But here you see Jesus just doing one thing after another. He was a man of action, the ultimate servant. And, and guess what? Even though he resurrected and had ascended and is at the right hand of the father, our Savior is still working because he is our high priest forever and he's also our advocate. And so as our high priest, he continually represents us before the Father and he allows us to draw near to the Father as our high priest. And so remember the job of the priest is to represent man to God and God to man. Well, Jesus can do both perfectly because he is the God man, fully God, fully man. And through Jesus, we're able to come boldly to the throne of grace. So, so whatever weaknesses we have, whatever struggles we have, whatever temptations we're facing, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of weaknesses and temptation in those times of need, all because Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 7.25 says, therefore, he is also able to save to the other, uttermost. He's able to save completely, in other words, those who come to God the Father through him. Through whom? Through our high priest, Jesus Christ. It's the role he's still serving in right now, the ultimate servant. 
And it says, since he always lives to make intercession for them, but he also still serving today as our advocate, which means he's one who would, would plead another's cause to a judge or would be an intercessor. And so it paints Jesus as our defense attorney who represents his client before a court of law. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So I don't want you to sin. But if anyone sins as a believer, guess what? You have an advocate, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so he's still serving in the role of advocate, even when we as believers sin. And as we confess our sins to him, he's able to restore fellowship with himself and with the Father. No, the relationship doesn't need to be restored because we're still his children. He's still our Father, as indicated in 1 John 2, 1, because it says we have an advocate with the Father. So he doesn't stop being our Father if we're true believers. But sometimes that fellowship or that fellowship will be broken with sin. And so when we confess it as our advocate, Jesus Christ can restore fellowship once again with himself and with God, our heavenly father. But also as our defense attorney or as our advocate, he's also able to defend us. Those of us who are justified, we're, we have a right standing with God. We're declared righteous. He's able to defend us against the accusations of the enemy. Because remember, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called that in Revelation. And so he's able to defend us against those accusations of the enemy. It says that they overcame him, and we too can overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, our advocate, and the word of our testimony. And the reason Jesus is so effective in his, in his present ministry as high priest and as advocate is because of his effectiveness when it comes to his blood that paid for all our sins. And so really, just like the song says, and I don't know the title of the song, I could just hear it in my head, but his blood stands in our defense. And so that's why he's so effective in this high priestly and this uh, advocate ministry. But Jesus, not only is he working for us, not only is he working for us as high priest and advocate, but he's also working in us. He's working with us, and of course, he's working through us. Therefore, we are not alone in our service to him. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 12 says, most assuredly, and again, this is Jesus speaking. He said, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And, and this second part of this verse is so amazing because it says, and greater works then these he will do because I go to my father. So not, not only does he work for us as high priest and advocate, but he works uh, in us and through us and with us. And it says that greater works than these he will do, the believer will do. Is it talking about greater in quality? No, not greater in quality, 
but maybe in quantity. Why? Because remember when Jesus came in his first ministry, he was limited by time and space. He had to walk to get from one place to another like everyone else. But now that there, there's more believers now, now you have the church, the body of Christ. And Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is, is working through the body of Christ. And so we can reach more places than he did when he, was, uh, when he came the first time. And so greater in quantity, maybe, but not quality. But then John 16, 7 gives us more details on how this is possible. That's because it says, you know, starting off John 16, 7, nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It's your advantage that I ascend and go back to my father. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so Jesus is saying that you can do the work that I'm commissioning you to do, not in your own strength, but because I'm resurrected and I go back to the Father now. I can send the Holy Spirit. I can send the helper. And you see in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit came upon the believers. You know, it's one thing that the Holy Spirit is with us, wooing us to try to get us to come to Christ. It's another thing that the Holy Spirit comes in us, transforming us, conforming us to the image of Christ. But then it's a whole other thing when, when, when Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and equips us for service and equips us to be effective witnesses. And so if you want to be more effective in ministry, if you want to be more effective in your witnessing, if you're feeling dry and you don't remember asking the Lord for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You can, you can ask for that tonight. The elders and or brothers and sisters in Christ who are here can lay hands on you and, and pray with you to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which you can also refer to as being filled with or being overflowed with the Spirit. And so now the Holy Spirit overflows you and has a positive effect on others. So now it's not just you being conformed from the inside out. Now others are being affected, affected in a positive way with that overflow or baptism with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, because he went back to the Father, now he's able to pour upon us the Holy Spirit. Remember John the Baptist said that, hey, I baptize people with water. That is the agent that I use. But Jesus uses the element of the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist used the element of water. Jesus used the element of the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ. But being baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the baptizer and the element is the Holy Spirit. And we receive power, that overflowing power of the Spirit. And so what I see here is a great privilege. At least that's what it is in my mind. It's a great privilege. It's a special benefit. It's a special honor to carry on with the work of Christ. Because remember, the title of tonight's lesson is The Work Continues. That is, the work of Christ continues. 
Not only is he continuing to work, but he continues to work through us. And what a privilege it is for us to partner with Jesus, for us to work with him. Because notice what it says in Mark 16, verse 20. It says that they went out and preached everywhere. And notice it says that the Lord worked with them. And so what a privilege it is to partner with him. And, and by the way, I've had the great privilege to do many things in this life. The Lord has blessed me with the privilege to do many things. I've had the privilege of performing marriage ceremonies. I have the privilege of officiating at my dad's funeral or memorial service. I had the privilege of, uh, of be, reaching my goal to become a junior high and high school teacher. I had the privilege of praying at the opening ceremony of the special needs baseball league. My son, Devon, has autism. My youngest son has autism. And, and I've been asked to do the opening prayer before the season started. And what a great privilege that was. And what a great privilege it was to even serve at one point at my school as the English department chair. And so I've had great privileges in life. And God has blessed me to do so much. But I'll tell you this, that nothing compares to the privilege of being able to serve the Lord. Nothing compares with the privilege of being able to serve with him. Nothing compares to the privilege of having him work through me and helping me to carry out the work of Jesus. For yes, that work continues. And I would even venture to say that many of you have that same mindset. And I would believe that many of you have had many privileges and opportunities to do many great things in here. And and I just know a brother, I just looked at his face. He had the privilege of writing an awesome book, God's Hole in One, Brother John Corfield. Great privilege to do that. And many of you have had great privileges to do other things, but I will venture to say that you have the same idea that I have that nothing compares to the privilege of serving Christ and working with him as his partner because we get to be his hands and feet in this world. You know, there's still people who are starving. There there's still people who are oppressed by the enemy and their people, by the way, who are possessed by demons, even still. Oh, there's still people who needs to hear the word of God. There, there's still people who need certain things in their homes. Maybe they're lacking just the simple things and, and we can be the hands and feet of Christ. There's people who are sick and they need people to lay hands on them and pray for the Lord to heal them. And so we get to be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. We get to partner with him. And just like Jesus was a man of action, we too get to be people of action. But the question is, are we? Have we been people of action as the worship team comes up? And so if we're not a person of action, or if we don't see the continuing work of Christ through us as a privilege, I want you to consider the fact that we get to, we get to become servants who partner with the ultimate servant. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the great servant the ultimate servant, Jesus Christ. Or what an example he set for us. 
Now remember in the word, Father, that that Jesus told the disciples that the way to greatness is to serve. And Jesus would go on to say that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He served in the ultimate way by giving his life. So I pray, Father, that you'll provide opportunities for us who are in this room and those of us who will be listening to the audio or those of us who are viewing right now this video, that you provide opportunities for us to to give up our time, to allow our lives to be interrupted, to be servants, to partner with you, Lord, in your great work and helping to meet meet the needs of people, whether they be physical needs, but most of all, their spiritual needs and praying for people and with people and sharing the gospel with them and just sharing an encouraging word from your Bible with them, Father. So, Father, may you open up those doors. And we thank you, Lord, for this great book that we've had the privilege of reading and studying. Continue, Lord, to work in us and through us according to your will. And those of us in this room who may not have discovered what gifts you want them to use, Lord, I pray that you would help them to discover that. That they'll get to work for you, Father, and remind them that if you call them to do it, you'll help them to do it, Father. Because you send your Holy Spirit to indwell. And Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon believers. The Holy Spirit overflows and help us to be effective. So help us, Lord, to be more appreciative of serving you and not see it as a burden. And may you bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, as as those who are watching online sign off and those who are in the building as they leave this place but not your presence. May you bless them and use them in a mighty way, Lord. Whatever they're struggling with, Lord, give them victory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.